1: serve and protect. This is the Chicago Popo Report.
2: Ah, Popo Nation, we're lighting it up tonight. Lupe Aguirre, Paul Cialino, WLS AM 890, Saturday night, Chicago. You don't want to turn this off at all. We got some special guests in the studio today. One of my favorite lawyers who go to jail. I love that stuff. This is a story you don't want to miss. Luke, what do we got? Well, the uh, the weather turned,
1: uh you know. <laughs> For the worst this week and hey and i also heard a story that it was so cold that a few Aldermen were seen walking down the street with their hands in their own pockets that's
2: almost impossible my friend okay wow <laughs> it's not that cold yet <laughs> maybe one hand in their pocket
1: when corruption and you know self-dealing and cold weather come yeah you got to put your hands in your own pocket that's right Yeah, you know according to lightfoot though uh, they're set to introduce the you know, marijuana ordinance to deal with next year
2: here we go the marijuana. Hit that pipe, boys and girls, okay? Because it's going to be legal in less than 60 days. Illinois become the 11th state that has approved marijuana
1: for recreational use.
2: So you know what, man? I, hey, listen, it's something to look forward to, right? Legalize everything. The war on drugs is a absolute failure after billions and billions of dollars. Millions of years in the... Uh, prison system it has not worked out let's be done with this nonsense and figure out how to legalize it tax it and treat people as you know who are sick we have Smoke drug problems. weed every day <laughs> that's what we're gonna do that's it's 63 i'm gonna start smoking weed every day that's my new that's that's it that's how i'm gonna roll from now on <laughs> in the car on the way home on the way to work all day long every day what do you think that work out okay I think so. <laughs> Some people would accuse us doing that right now on the show.
1: Yeah, you know, according to Life though, though, they're set to introduce new ordinances uh, next month. that's going to, you reform how Chicago is going to uh, enforce the rules and regulations <laughs> related to marijuana. So, 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 get ready for that. All right? We're already reforming it. We haven't even started it yet. So, among the things, check this out, Paul. Residents caught with small amounts of cannabis will face less stiff penalties and fines than they have in the past. And here, the Chicago Popo will be trained on the new rules and protocols to ensure consistent
2: enforcement. How about that? I, I gotta think the Popo love the fact they don't have to mess with this nonsense anymore. Right? Yeah. It's just it's it's really ridiculous to even have to be bothered with it. I'm I'm just listen, I'm just upset that, you know, we don't have thirty or forty pounds laying around. We could sell around the corner. That's not being taxed. <laughs> They're still going to drop the hammer on those guys, though, right?
1: But still, Paul, smoking or using cannabis will remain prohibited in public and in vehicles. It cannot be used near school buildings, school buses, or faci- or any facility that's used as a daycare for children. I mean, I like
2: that. What do you well, think? Let's 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 hope the little darlings in daycare are not smoking reefer yet, okay? But I could tell you, going back to the seventies in high school, there was a lot of dope being smoked there. Oh, yeah, we got two right. judges uh, on the lineup next. Yeah, yeah well, we're not in the lineup so much anymore. The guy who was involved in shooting of the two judges back in Indianapolis a few months back. What did he do? Alfredo Vasquez, clearly not Italian. What did Alfredo, what's Alfredo pleading guilty to up there? Let's see. He's pleaded guilty in a
1: May fight during which two judges were shot in downtown Indianapolis. Uh, but he was just sentenced to home detention. So I guess it was a whole melee him and
2: his uh, uh, him him and the real perp. His uh, uncle let me tell you what happened here, okay? I'm gonna tell you why this young lad is not finding himself in serious trouble. Let's see why. He's a snitch. He's gonna flip out his co-defendant and testify against him. And his, so uh, his he uncle. got himself a nice deal. He's gonna throw the uncle under the bus. The uncle's gone. See, and the Yos. Bye-bye, Unc. Because this deal is too good to be true, and you only get deals like this when you're a cooperating witness, as they say.
1: Okay, he's a cooperating witness, but I mean, how much of a how much of a witness do you really need in this case? You've got, I'm sure they've got oh, video. These you've prosecutors got, uh, you've never got other have witnesses. enough good witnesses,
2: yeah. all right, my friend. They can never have enough. They're greedy. Greedy animals by nature. Why do they need to
1: give this guy a sweet deal when I'm sure this they have this guy, you know, uh, if if, if, his, uh, if his nephew wasn't even around? He's kind of going to screw up the whole
2: family dynamic at holiday parties, isn't it? It's going to be a crappy Thanksgiving
1: <laughs> now. Unless the I uncle mean... said,
2: young man, save yourself. I would, well, I'm very fond of my nephew. I would not let him take a hit for me.
1: So let me just, let me just uh, apart from that, let me just understand this story correctly. So these two judges, they were just innocent bystanders. They weren't necessarily uh, involved in this melee. They just happened to be in that area that these two knuckleheads got into a fight and a gun came out, gunplay ensued, shots were fired, and they just got hit?
2: I, I'm guessing, listen, we don't have enough details in this, this particular piece. We could speculate. Let, let's, let's,
1: let, 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 let's artfully, let's uh, intelligently speculate what might have happened here
2: i guessing the judges maybe shouldn't have been in the place they were at. So
1: they are outside an Indianapolis fast food restaurant. And eh, we don't probably, uh, maybe it involved, a, I don't know, a Popeye's chicken sandwich. I don't know. I'm, I'm, we guessing, don't, I'm maybe not. Maybe it did. Maybe it did. Maybe, <laughs> they just, maybe, maybe the Popeye's is just getting really bad press and didn't want to include that part of the story. But it's a fast food restaurant involving guns, gunplay. Maybe chicken sandwiches were involved. I
2: don't know. Well, Clark County judges got shot. I mean, that's unusual when a judge gets shot to begin with. Right? Two. Yeah, two of them get shot. Two for one. Two for it's a one. a twofer. Yeah. A lot of heat. I'm sure to, to all the judges, all their brethren, very unhappy about this case. So got, why did they send out a message to the community?
1: Then why did one guy get a sweet deal? I don't understand that. So uh,
2: I'm thinking because they needed him, though. They needed him? Yeah. Otherwise, you don't get a deal like that unless you really need it. Or you're really innocent and they just didn't want to get embarrassed trying to put a case on against them. There's that. Dude could have been passed out of sleep in the back of the car when it all went down. Or in the bathroom, right? Or walking an old lady across the street with his back to the inside. <laughs> Not likely, but it could have been.
1: Possibly. So according to you, you're saying Alfredo Vasquez dimed his uncle out. Just so you could get a lighter sentence. When you
2: got a deal like You're diving somebody out, and in this particular case, it looks like your uncle is going to go down for the big weight on this one.
1: Hey, what about <laughs> in Oklahoma? Man, they got wait. They got liberal out there. They let 450 hardened criminals out.
2: I don't think they were. <laughs> Watch yourselves, people.
1: Right? You got people
2: just walking around uh, who were in the slammer. Throat mostly weed growers and such. Okay, nonviolent offenders. Those are my my favorite offenders, nonviolent. Let me tell you something, man. They're tired of paying for these people to be locked up. It's It's, not a cheap adventure. It's expensive to lock people up and and keep them locked up. The governor said, listen, I'm giving you guys, you 450 mopies, a second chance. They both let out both men and women out of the uh, Department of Corrections in Oklahoma there. And they were mostly all nonviolent offenders. And uh, it was like early Christmas present. Yeah. I wonder how many of them have been locked up since uh, Wednesday when he did this. <laughs> it's Saturday now. How many reoffended since uh, Wednesday in seventy two hours? You're talking about the rate of recidivism. Recid- I, love, I love recidivism. Pronounce- recidivism, rate. Yes. Rate. Uh I want I wonder what is it for this four, group of four fifty. Now that's a story. I, I would
1: say you know I'm going to go go on the limb and say maybe twenty five percent. Oh, not Not in seventy two hours. Eventually. Eventually, yeah, within well, within a couple within a month or so, yeah. Well, that that's that's is that, is that standard? Is that normal?
2: That's that's lower than standard. Lower? Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. But uh, did they did they uh, legalize marijuana in Oklahoma? Probably not. Yeah, probably no. I can't see them doing it. They need the money. They they want to abuse the. Citizens who like to partake in that particular form of recreation. Well,
1: of all states, uh, they beat President Barack Obama's 2017 commutation of the drug sentences of 330 uh, federal prisoners. I mean, man, Oklahoma.
2: They get, well, showing up President Obama. I want to tell you something. You get in trouble in Oklahoma, you go into jail. Right. right? They don't mess around. because right. Because that, that is like the number one hobby out there of the authorities, locking you up. Locking you up, man. There's not a lot of people out in Oklahoma, but there's enough to manage to fill up a couple prisons. Oklahoma City, Tulsa, tough towns, man. It's called job security, Paul. Yes, it is. The Popo out there. I got some friends that have been Popo out there. They're busy.
1: All right, people, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to interview former private investigator Peter Carl. You've been listening to the Chicago Popo report on WLS AMA. Ah, uh,
2: Welcome back, Chicago. WLS AM 890, Lupe Aguirre, Paul Cialino, Chicago, Popo Report. And folks, our first guest ever, almost a year. We don't do guests, but we we were blessed to get this guy. We right? had to find the right guest, Paul. We did have to find, it, right we and, uh, to find the right guest. and
1: find the right guest at the right time.
2: Let me read this guy's bio, okay? And then I'll talk a little about him. Peter Carl is a retired award-winning television investigative reporter who has been inducted in the prestigious... Cir- Silver Circle of National Television Society of Arts and Sciences for his work that spanned over 40 years. Carl's a recipient of 11 Chicago Regional Emmy Awards, the esteemed George Foster Peabody Award, two DuPont Columbia Awards, the Robert F. Kennedy Award for Journalism Excellent. Carl's been a recipient of numerous death threats during his career, as reported on police, police scandals, corrupt politicians, mafia kingpins, drug dealers, and some of Chicago's most ruthless street gangs, to name a few. That's what a good reporter does. I've known Peter Carl for well over thirty years. He is like one of my personal heroes. Peter sounds like a badass. For Peter is a badass man, and he was an invest he was the first investigative reporter in the city, and perhaps the greatest to this date. He was magnificent. And He pissed everybody off every day, which is what a good journalist does. Peter, welcome back home to Chicago. Thank you for coming down.
0: Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the Popo Report and being your first guest. Well, you're here to talk about a book he just wrote, which is magnificent. I loved it. Uh, It
2: it was a page-turner, and it's a true story.
0: Well, it's a novel based on a true story that, uh, you know, a lot of journalism background that went into it, but uh, it was a... 5,000 pages of research and a a four-and-a-half-year project to write and organize and put together, uh, loosely based on the Laura Reschetti murder that happened in 1986. And, by the way, which effects are still being felt in the city of Chicago today. Rush Presbyterian St. Luke Hospital, now Rush Medical. Uh, They continue for the last 33 years to have a day honoring her, Uh, at the university to remind people uh, what had happened on that grisly night of a blood moon. It was particularly a brutal homicide, wasn't Uh, it? Paul, Lupe, it's probably the police department over the last three generations probably call this the single most heinous murder in the history of Chicago. Single most. When you talk about one person. What happened to this poor girl is just... Absolutely horrendous. And it was investigated twice, uh, don't, without giving away too much of the book. Uh, the police conducted an investigation that took 115 days. They arrested four gangbangers at the time. Uh, and the trials of all three took less than a total of eight hours. I mean, in terms of the jury, jury deliberation, right. mm-hmm. less than eight hours in three separate trials. One of the gang bangers turned on the guys, and they went to jail. And after spending 16 years in jail, DNA evidence—and you know, we sure. worked a lot of cases, Paul. We done a lot of things, and we agree and disagree on a bunch of things. But that's what makes the world go round. That what you know—all these things that happen. And DNA came up, and it didn't match the four, and they got out right. And, and they got then, a lot of money too, right? Uh, well, two of them got eight million, and uh, one of the guys who got, I think, about eight hundred thousand, a million, and another one got one point one point five. But he wanted to get it over with quickly, anyway. So now the police start a second investigation, which takes just as long, but they find the DNA guys. Now I've interviewed the two guys who are in jail with the DNA, and they make no bones about the fact that they kidnapped her behind her house. They took her up to the spot, and they raped her. They admit to it. Eh, we didn't kill her, though, right? And we didn't kill her. Yeah, okay. You know, and that's part of what the whole book is about, is, you know, did they did they kill her? I mean, I draw conclusions, or I don't draw conclusions. I lay out... <laughs> All the facts and a bunch of different things that were were brought to the attention of a lot of people, but never brought to the public right. in the book. And I lay out the facts of some of the backgrounds of some of the private people that came in and did DNA. Were they really credible? I bring out a, a lot of things that were never brought out before about uh, one of the police uh, uh, people w- who did lab analysis and work, And she was highly criticized and but investigated by the FBI and totally cleared and then of course then the two guys are convicted they're in jail and I interview them in jail and uh, that's what the book is all about and it is really a fascinating story to see police work and to see uh, and I weave in part of a life of a journalist and in my opinion and that I think that every cop who investigates a murder should read this book I don't care where you are because it goes through all the things that go into it and some things that people never ever um, you know could even conceive like I had a focus group when I wrote the book and I wrote about the confession and and I asked these people in the focus group is this boring I mean, it starts, and it's a blah, 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 blah. And every single one to the person has never heard anything that came out of anything like that. And they're fascinated by Well, let me interrupt. We're
2: talking to Peter Carl, famous author, dean of the investigative journalists of Chicago, one of my favorite people of all time. Uh, You wrote a book, man. It's lengthy. It's a long book.
0: It is a long book.
2: And it's detailed. And, And what I love about this book is nobody writes like this. Nobody reports like this anymore. This this is an incredible work, although it's fictionalized, with little quote marks around that.
0: Well, it's fictionalized, and it's, you know, and, and a lot of things that happen, and like that I say, I, did, I didn't do it. It's all fictional, that part of all right. of that, you know, so that all comes in. But you know mm-hmm. what's really amazing? Is that the things that happened back then in 1986 continue to happen today. You're talking about it early on your popo show. You're talking about these guys that are, you know, the number of homicides and the number of shootings. Do you know, if you stop to think about this in the book, I even say this, what the detectives say, the detectives say all across the city. Do you know the difference between homicide and aggravated assault? Do you know what it is? What is it? Marksmanship. That's right. Every one of of these people who are shot... They could die, and oh. it could be a murder. Uh, the
2: difference it, is the Chicago Fire Department paramedic program. That's the difference, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, getting yeah.
0: there, or whatever, or you know, hitting somebody in the shoulder instead of the head. Or the jump. I mean, I, I'm not trying to make I'm not <laughs> like, trying to make light of any of that. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is what what's what's happening today happened back then in in that district in Area Four. Back then, they had more homicides in Area Four than they had in thirty one states. By the way, we don't have an area four anymore. I know. I don't <laughs> know what the hell that is. <laughs> well, that's that's Harrison it's over buddy. on Harrison, <laughs> right off right off of the ike. I know now, as I put in the next book I'm writing, that it's broken down now into three areas and and, and then redistributed because of a bunch of things, and turn including crime statistics right they had so. to get rid of area four because it was what did it rank uh nationally the higher than oh, no, well, there, in that <laughs> one area st- yeah there were more homicides than 31 states in one year
1: in one chicago district i miss area, area four i
2: miss, we, miss area four. <laughs> we had to get rid of it it, it didn't help on uh, on Tuesday mornings, did it? <laughs> yeah, yeah PR-wise, no. Accountability Tuesdays, yeah. we down the to hear Area 40 more, so we got rid of it. <laughs> Peter, where, where can we buy this book? Everyone's going to want to buy it after they listen to the Popo Report.
0: Well, we hope so. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it on barnesandnoble.com. You can buy it uh iBooks. It's available all through, uh, you know, on the computer. You can buy it anywhere. The, the usual suspects, huh? You could get to just type the damn name in, folks. You'll find
2: it and buy it. You yep. won't you won't regret it. That name is author Peter Carl. We'll come right back to you. Hang on.
1: Peter, Paul, like two biblical characters. We're going to hit pause right now, okay? When we come back, we're going to continue with author Peter Carl and continue talking about his book, On the Night of a Blood Moon. You've been listening to the Chicago Popo Report on WS AM 890.
2: Welcome back, Chicago Peeps, Chicago Popo Report, Luffy Aguirre, Paul Cialino, WLS AM 890. Folks, you can't listen live on Saturday night from 10 to 12. Go to WLSAM.com. You can listen to it anytime you want. And tonight, we got our first guest, Peter Carl. We like this guest stuff because we don't have to work so hard. We just let Peter talk because he's a journalist. He loves the sound of his voice.
0: I don't know about <laughs> that. I do. It's good seeing you again. It's been a long time. We did a lot of things, you know. There- they don't do what we used to do in, no, in news no, anymore. No, they don't. I mean, I I don't know the last time I've seen a report anywhere that they've allowed reporters to work six, seven, eight a year on stories. We did that all the time. I mean, we did other things in between, but we had things that we had going on for
2: a year. La- ladies and gentlemen, I cannot tell you how, what a talented, smart journalist Looks and acts like, but Peter Carl's picture should be next to one in the dictionary because he was the guy. He was the man in this town. And let me tell you, everybody. Peter Carl showed up with a microphone. It was your worst day, perhaps. Popo hated him. Gangsters hated him. The politicians hated him because Peter actually did the job the way it's supposed to be doing.
1: Well, I mean, here the uh, the game has changed even over the last five years. You got social media. You have twenty four hour news cycles. Yeah. I mean, you can't. I don't know how how many journalists stick on a stay on a story for longer than a couple of days, let alone six months or a year. Or a couple like, of
0: hours, right? Or a couple uh, hours, yeah. I mean, and you know, the internet, uh, Google changes everything. Where when I used to teach at Columbia College, you you, I mean, you had to go to the library, you had to go look stuff up, you had to, you had <laughs> to do things. Now anymore. you just Google something, and and you know, and it, but the problem is, it may not be right. Everything you hear on the or read on the internet. It's not 100 percent you know and those are and those are the kinds of things that get journalists in trouble I mean you have these ethical standards too that you got to double check uh, your facts I mean we did that and we always had after doing a long investigation we always went up to the target and we said here's I mean I did I said here's what I'm going to report tell me I'm wrong they and if they could prove to me that yeah. I'm wrong the story would, I'd tell you one story. That we did on a, one, a politician who, who, uh, said he was going to stop everybody from collecting money for illegitimate children and so forth. They're getting all kinds of money. And, uh, we found out that this guy who was in law enforcement, uh, had a illegitimate child and was collecting money. <laughs> so that opened the door, right? So we do this story and I give him the night we're airing the piece. He won't talk to me. But the night we're airing the piece, it's like four and a half minutes long. That's an eternity on a newscast. Mm -hmm. And I called him up and I said, hey, tell me I'm wrong. Do a blood sample for me. Do a DNA test. And this story goes away. Peter, I can't do that. But I was willing to give up four and a half minutes, put the producer into a box, and not do the story if, if we would have taken a test, well, you know, yeah, but they're not going to. No, they're not going to. But hey, I, I, I don't want to forget, you're not keeping all the money for the sales of this book, are you? Oh, no, no, no. 50% of the sales goes to the Chicago Police Memorial Foundation to help support the families of police officers who are killed or catastrophically injured in the line of duty. So... Uh, I'm not keeping all the profits at all from this book. And, and Folks, that's absolutely you, wonderful. Yes, and no one gets rich writing a book anymore. But th- this book is
2: probably going to hit the New York Times bestseller list sooner than later. And, well, uh, I
0: sure, I I hope so because uh, the, 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 certainly the the families of police officers killed and uh, or maimed and in, in the line of duty are going to benefit from it. But you know, Paul Lupe, it, I'm not saying this because I wrote this book. I mean, other journalists, when they knew I wrote the book, came up to me and said, man, this book should have been written a long time ago. And it should have. And I will tell you one thing. That I referred just a little while ago to calling sources and telling them, tell me I'm wrong. right? And I've done that to... Every investigation I've ever done, I've been sued for millions and millions of dollars, as you know, and never have lost too, a suit, the club. And, and never have lost a lawsuit. I'm the only but, one who hasn't been sued in this uh, room. You're still young. But <laughs> yeah. let me tell you, the hardest thing I did was call Lori Ruschetti's mother and tell her I wrote this book. And Lori, Lori was the victim of Lori her. Lori uh, was the victim. She was the homicide victim. She, young she was doctor. the homicide victim that... The book is based loosely around that, but I wanted I wanted the mother to know that the book was coming out, and I told, I and I told her that it was coming out, and and we talked. How'd you take it? How did how did the mother? She, we take talked. It? We prayed. We cried. We laughed, and she said, "I hope it's it's a bestseller." When the book came out, I sent her a copy with a letter, and she called me. I was in a restaurant in Florida. I look down and I see the 217 area code. So I go, I got to take this. It'd be Southern Illinois for you non-Illinois yeah, people out there. Down Springfield area. And I take the phone call. She said she just put the book down. And I closed my eyes and I said, please, God," You know, I said, how did you like it? And she said, I loved it. It's hard to relive. But she thought I did a good job with everything, and um, it brought her some closure with all the things brought together. It I that if I don't sell another book, that was the highest compliment you could ever be given as an author. Well, uh, speaking as someone who reads a lot, uh, like I have no wife, so I read a lot of books. But
2: you, you got to read this book, folks. This book is magnificent, and it really really shows what a good investigative television journalist does to get the story and the produce, producers behind the story and the meetings and and all of the digging and conversations and dogging the cops and dogging the lab people and just keeping an after a story. Nobody does it anymore. Maybe, like Loopy said, the 48-hour news cycle. They don't want to. We got the uh, attention span of a housefly. But, man, this, this is the way journalism should be practiced.
0: Yeah. I, you know, but... It- the th- the things that happen in chicago are just amazing and down in florida where i live now People talk about Chicago. They talk about this Jesse Molette case. They talk about. Watch it. You got to watch. What's the pronunciation on that? Jesse Wassow, oh, whatever. The uh, uh, What is it, yeah. loose?
1: Juicy Smollett. Yeah. There we okay, go. we got to
2: get that right.
1: The okay? people in Florida
0: find that story amusing, do they? Oh, they, I mean, there are some of the people that are down there. You talk about, you were talking earlier about the investigation that went in there and some of the retired coppers are going, Oh my God, they've never seen anything like this. But also, I mean, you know, this guy, He's he's in the limelight. Well, you've got you've got pressure from outside interests. I mean, was that was
1: that the case back when in, in you know back in the eighties, back in the nineties? Uh, we didn't have social media. We didn't have you know the Google. We we didn't have a lot of external pressures like we have now. I mean, what's going on? You know, here?
0: I can tell you honestly that I have never been told that what kind of angle to take on a story or do anything. But I will tell you one thing: when we went. To press, so to speak, when we had to be there on the air, everything we did was checked and double checked. And documents were sacrosanct. You know, you got a video, you got a document, you got whatever, and but you needed the evidence. And 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 so in this case particularly, they got the evidence. You know? Right. And what happened, I mean the Cook County State's Attorney's Office People across the state of Florida, they they're just shake their head at how this whole thing was happened. They can't believe it. Imagine that, Paul. Telling the truth is sacrosanct.
2: Wow. Uh, well, that's what guys like Peter Carl did. And there weren't too many of them, there, and there's even fewer of them today. And, folks, we've been talking to Peter Carl, award-winning investigative reporter, uh, sailor supreme of all uh, bodies of water. And and just one of the finest human beings ever to grace the earth. Peter, we're so happy to have had you as our first guest. And uh, might be our last after uh, after your sound bites went on.
0: Well, I tell you what, it's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure meeting you, Lupe. I've known, I've known Paul forever. It seems like he's, you know, he's like an old penny. He always still shows here. up.
2: Still here, still hanging out. <laughs> I came up them stairs a little bit, a little twinge in the shoulder and jaw. I thought it might have been the big one coming on.
1: Uh, I mean, look at Paul. He's got like a, he's, he's had a, he's had a Woody this, this whole time. I mean, just I'm, talking to Peter Carl. I'm pretty happy That's having amazing. Peter
2: Carl up here.
1: I got to tell you. All right. We've been talking with Peter Carl, author of On the Night of a Blood Moon. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Curtis Lovelace and his wife, Christina, about how he was falsely accused of murder and how he's helping others in similar situations. You've been listening to the Chicago Popo report on WLS AMA.
2: Uh, We're back, Popo Nation. WLSAM eight ninety, Chicago. Lupe Aguirre, Paul Ciolino, and we have two guests that are going to be on for the next several minutes: Curtis and Christine Lovelace. Curtis is an attorney. Curtis, my favorite kind of client in general: a lawyer who gets charged with murder, goes to jail, gets abandoned by all his friends, colleagues, everybody. He was a prosecutor when he got locked up, which is really interesting. But I uh, want to talk about a guy who is coming around to be an American hero at this point for what he went through, what he's done, what he's accomplished, and what he's currently doing. It's Curtis Loveless and his wife, uh, Christine, who uh, played a huge role in regaining his freedom. Curtis, Christine, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. Why
2: don't you tell us, what happened to you, Curtis? Well, I, you're a prosecutor in Southern Illinois. You're a former captain of the University of Illinois football team. You're hot stuff, brother. And all of a sudden, you found yourself on the wrong side of your boss down there, didn't you?
3: Well, we were we were just living life. Uh, Christine and I uh, had recently um, just got married. Uh, we were building a life in, in Quincy, Illinois. We were both uh, familiar with the area. And uh, Christine had just recently moved to Quincy. I had lived in Quincy for a long time, been a prosecutor, school board president, very active in the community. And... On August 27th of 2014, I walked out of my law office um, to meet Christine for lunch, and I saw a, a police officer. I recognized him; he was wearing a coat and a tie. And uh, I went to shake his hand. I, you know, again, I recognized him, didn't know his name. Um, and he was standing by my car, and he said, uh, uh, "He said, put your hands on your vehicle." He searched me. Uh, he said, "Put your hands uh, behind your back." He cuffed me, and he told me that I was being arrested for
2: murder. <laughs> Hey, what a nice lunch conversation that could have been, right? What did you think when he said put your hands on the car? I, I didn't
3: know what to think. Uh, he 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 said uh, he said you're being arrested for murdering your yeah. wife, and and my immediate thought was you know wh- where, where's Christine? I mean I, I just left her this morning at her at her at her bakery <laughs> at her pie shop. You know what's not, going not
2: that wife, Kurt. Yeah, this what, is a what, different wife.
3: What, what, what's going on? And and uh, and I, what he told me was I was being arrested for my uh, late wife who right. had, had passed away uh, over
2: eight years um, prior. This is this is where. These stories always go bizarro, brother. Right, right. Eight, eight years prior, your your wife dies, and and tell everybody what happened to her. in, in February two thousand six, um, uh,
3: my uh, my my wife wasn't feeling well, and I stayed home uh, on 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 the morning. It was a Tuesday morning, and uh, she got up. Um, we spent some time together with the kids, getting them ready. Um, I took my. My children to school came back home. She was in bed. I found her and, and, and she had died, uh, while I was
2: gone. Natural and, causes, right?
3: Nat- natural causes, uh, and, uh, um, you know, 911, uh, was called, uh, emergency personnel came in, um, uh, there was an investigation, um, there was a funeral, uh, and, and, and we all, um, Mourned her lost and and moved on uh, with our lives, right. uh, re- remembering her, and uh, and and that's where we were in in August of 2014. And
2: the guy who arrested you, he was a patrolman at the time, wasn't he?
3: He what I what I would learn again. Yeah. I, I did not know him. Um, I, I think I had probably worked with him as as an assistant state's attorney. Uh, probably you know had him as a witness. Right. Um, didn't know him well. Uh, but what I had learned later on, that he was a canine officer in um, 2013, and, uh, and then he was moved to the elder service officer. right? And at the same time, in December of 2013, he took a week-long course in homicide investigations. And, he became an
1: expert after that. And, and, right. and
3: so he, he became a, a homicide detective at the same time he was being an elder officer. And uh, and my case was his first investigation.
2: How old was your uh,
3: former wife when she died? Uh, she was 36, 37. And w- what were the nature of her problem, medical issues? Well, Corey had, uh, was an excessive drinker. Right. And, uh, and she also suffered from an eating disorder. Right. Um, two things that had gone unchecked uh, that in hindsight... Um, we all wish we would have intervened and, and addressed. And uh, and as it turned out, um, those two things uh, were what caused her death. Sure, natural causes all day long. You had three sons. Yes, three right? sons, three sons, and a, and a and a daughter.
2: Right. We're here with Kurt and Christine Lovelace, attorney, profiler extraordinaire, talking about the murder case. And and then it all. Eight years later, it really turns on you, doesn't it? I mean, they come after you like you're uh, Charles Manson. Well, can I quickly ask yeah, him, Paul? Well, at the time,
1: at the time of your uh, your wife's death, the medical examiner determined the death uh, that wasn't suspicious; it was undetermined, correct? Something like that. Correct. So nothing suspicious. Suspicious circumstances weren't revolving around it. So they just wrapped it up. Yeah. Right. And
2: eight years later, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. And eight years later, you're walking out and you're getting cuffed up i mean this is like what do you think when this is happening to you you know i i really didn't know what to think i
3: you know it was one of those uh you know this must be a dream this can't be happening um and uh, you know i was i was put into the back of a police car the the officer who was driving the car i had known for years grew up with and and i just remember him looking at me and saying, "You know, sorry, man, I'm 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 just uh, I'm just a cab driver here. You know, kind of yeah. apologetic." Um, the detective put me in a in a room at the Quincy Police Department, and uh, although I'm was an attorney, am an attorney. You know what I did? I answered all his questions <laughs> because because you know what? He, he, I thought he really wanted to know the truth, uh, and 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 I was. I was there to tell him the truth.
2: And in hindsight, how did that work out for you, Kirk? Well,
3: I, in in hindsight, um, I, I'm good with it. Now, as an attorney, I would counsel my clients to to not do that. Uh, and and we we ended that uh, that interview, and and I testified in my second trial, and and, and there weren't any any problems. You did with, not
2: testify with, in your first trial. Though, I did. Right? I
3: did not testify yeah. in my first trial. And, and and during the interview, it was interesting. At the end of the interview um he asked me uh you know will you take polygraph and and i said absolutely and you know uh and what would the polygraph say and i'd say you know it, it would say i was telling the truth
2: standard questions standard
3: stand, yeah. standard questions and again i thought that, that he was going to arrange for a polygraph but that that didn't happen because, and didn't because want no polygraph. Yeah, he, were, he didn't he didn't he didn't care it's he, a control he, question he didn't care i had yeah. already been indicted that morning by a grand jury um Because of his investigation, Um, my bond had already been set at $5 million.
2: In Illinois, that means $500,000 a walk, right?
3: Right, correct. Uh, I'd have to post $500,000. And uh, so from there, he took me to the Adams County Jail. They quickly decided that it wouldn't be a good idea, a former prosecutor for seven years to be placed in the Adams County Jail, where I might run into some people I prosecuted. So they Moved me um, about 45 minutes north to a small county, Hancock, Illinois, um, where I spent uh, almost two years in that, in that county jail.
2: This is, I wrote a book uh, about wrongful convictions, and, and I suggested that all lawyers immediately uh, who are going to practice criminal law, either as a prosecutor or defense lawyer, should spend a year in a maximum security prison so they get an idea of what it's really like when they're suggesting to their clients, hey, take five, take ten, that's not a bad sentence and or a prosecutor who's a little bit over aggressive and loose with the facts, you know, in the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, that sort of thing, might have a different perspective, right? Sure. After you spend a little time in jail, you got a different perspective now?
3: Sure. I, I mean, the the perspective I have now is that, uh, you know, our, our jails are, are full of people who, you know, have, have done low-level criminal offenses. They can't make bail. Um, you know, there's mental health issues. There are addictions. And uh, and they don't feel serviced by their public defender. Uh, and and they're really alone and, and, and lost. And ultimately, they take a plea deal, um, whether they're guilty or not, because that's the only way they're going to move on with their life, that's either right. to, to get out of jail or move on to prison.
1: All right, we're going to take another break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking with Curtis Lovelace. You've been listening to the Chicago Popo Report on WLS AM 890. We'll see you in a bit. L.S. Here are the stories of crimes committed against the people of Chicago. Step four. And the stories of the men and women who serve and protect us. This is... The, the Chicago Popo Report.
2: Uh, we're back. Paul Cialino, Lupe Coyote, the Popo Report on WLS AM 890. Saturday night, we're with Kurt and Christine Lovelace. Kurt was almost wrongfully convicted of a murder. Spent 677 days in jail. Got out. And now soon the hell out of everybody, which you should be doing. But I, I'm going to ask Christine a question. Christine and Kurt are married eight months. Nice marriage. So everybody's happy. It's all good. It's all good in the hood, as we say. And they're getting ready to go to lunch. they got the nice little perfect upper middle class life going down there in southern Illinois. And the popo roll up and lock up her husband. Christine.
4: Yep. That's pretty much what happened. I was... Uh... Kurt had dropped me off at my pie shop earlier that morning. I had left the corporate world and decided to open up a little bakery. And um, Kurt dropped me off and he was going to come back and have lunch with me. And I was just baking away and (laughs) a little worried. He hadn't called and I knew he had a busy day, but then he wasn't showing up for lunch. And a dear friend of mine from high school actually sent me a text message and asked me um, if I was okay and to tell me that he was there for me if he if if I needed anything and so I told him I said sure I know that but what's going on and he immediately called me and asked me where Kurt was and I got really nervous and he made it sound as though there was some news to tell me and that I obviously didn't know and he told me that he was looking at a bill of indictment and Kurt had been arrested for murder. Um, so that's how I had found out that that Kurt had been arrested
2: what what'd you do next what what What's your next move?
4: Yeah, immediately that's what I thought so um, then I'm thinking the boys um you know, we had three boys. I had adopted Kurt and Corey's, um three youngest children yeah. when Kurt and I got married, and so I um started searching for where the boys were, and I couldn't find them um Later, I would, I would learn that Detective Gibson and uh, others involved in the case had arranged for the kids to be removed from school and secretly taken to the police department. I referred to it as a kidnapping because mm-hmm. if they weren't put in a squad car and they were put in a white van, that's what we would call it, right? Right. So um, they were taken to the police department, questioned without permission. Um, I'd like I said find them and went to the police department and uh, Gibson had told the boys in front of me and and some other folks that were in this room that uh, their father had been arrested for first-degree murder for murdering their mom. That's when they learned why it was that they had been questioned, and uh, so I sent the kids uh, home with Kurt's parents, sat with Gibson for a few minutes, and he told me that this would go quick, that these types of things happen quickly. Uh, Kurt's bond was set at $5 million. We would get a public defender. Uh, Kurt would take a plea deal, and we'd move on. It wouldn't take that much time.
1: Uh, no big deal. E- Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Easy, right? Right, yeah. Right. So, don't worry about it. We got this covered, right? Absolutely. <laughs> we're, gonna, absolutely. we're gonna take care of you guys. We do, this, right? we do this all the time, especially yeah. with a rookie uh detective uh who's uh is he the one that uh initially spoke with you, uh the uh, Gibson?
3: Yeah, he was he was the officer. He, he, he was the arresting officer. He's he was the one arresting one. officer. They, he did not interview me. Uh, I was not aware of the investigation at all, so my first um the information the first information I ever received that there was an investigation was when after he had already testified in front of the grand jury. There was an indictment and arrest
1: warrant, and I had been arrested. So you were his big first case. Uh, rookie detective. Was he anti-Big Ten? Was he, uh, <laughs> did he have something against uh, the Illini? Was he a big Missouri fan? Was he, why did he have such a bit hard-on for you and for this case? Well, I, 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 did, think... I mean, did you ever think about that later on? I mean, not at the time, but later on, I'm like, why me? Why him? Why this?
3: I, I thought about that every day while I was in county jail and and then every day while I was on home confinement and I, I I still think about that every day and I, I I don't know that we still have an answer as to why he started an investigation and why he did what he did during the course of that investigation
1: you're listening to the Chicago Po report on WSA May 90 we're joined here by Curtis and Christine Lovelace here to talk about uh, life after being acquitted for murder charges I'm sure that police department has a handful of detectives seasoned detectives uh. Uh, senior detectives, senior officers. I guess he had the blessing ultimately to initiate the investigation and to uh, arrest you from his superiors, right? Uh, did they? I mean, did you? Is there any history that you? I don't know. It's kind of like thought of why, why did they approve this? Because he it doesn't sound like a rogue police officer. He had he had the blessing of the police department because they spent a lot of money on this and
2: the prosecutors and the prosecutors.
3: Right? Yeah, yeah. And 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 I think I think a lot of that is the um the the subject of our civil litigation you know why it started uh, who was supervising um, um, what they did in the supervision process uh, and and again I think they I, I think there are answers that will will never know
2: well we do know a lot of things we know that they created a case where there was no case we know they sh- experts shopped and spent tens of thousands of dollars on trying to find an expert that would give them the answers they wanted right, right. uh there was outrageous Government misconduct on the part of the authorities in this case
1: it doesn't sound like they were searching for the
2: truth no they, they made up their mind they had to
1: made up their mind right and they just had to right. find
2: somebody or something to back it up we're going to tune up this former prosecutor we're going to show everybody we treat everyone fairly down here in southern illinois right we're going to go after this this ex football star and, and kurt listen you're you're a you're a big deal i mean you're you're a high school all american you get a full ride, University of Illinois. You wind up being a captain, playing on some teams that win bowl games. Uh, you got a pro career in front of you, and you're a smart guy. You're a scholarship student. You're going to law school. You serve in the military. I mean, you are a big deal, my friend. Big deal anywhere, but you're really a big deal in Southern Illinois. So you, they, they went, they went the full gang on you, man. I mean, they were after your butt when they come after a guy who. They shouldn't be coming after. They, and they come after them for all the wrong reasons. It's usually somebody like you. But you never seen it coming, did you? You not in a million years.
3: No, and 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 we talk about this with uh, Christine and I talk about it, and we talk about with other people when you know we talk about wrongful convictions, and and it's hard to understand. um, And and we weren't part of the wrongful conviction world, the Innocence Networks. I mean, that wasn't even on our radar. They're coming after you you now for different reasons. So get used to it because it's not going to stop. But but you know. What we learned is, you know, it could happen to anyone. Right. If it could happen to me, it could, you know, I, I, I had some speeding tickets. I had no criminal history. Bro, you're I was you're in- a
2: rock star down there. Okay. I- you're, you're a former, uh, University of Illinois, big star football player. You're, you're a member of the upper crest of the community, former prosecutor, uh, respected attorney. By the way, how did your lawyer colleagues treat you? Did they all come running down to the jail, represent you, help you out on this thing?
3: Well, I, you know, I had a few. No, no, I had a okay. few lawyers who wanted to know uh, if they could take over my cases. Uh-huh. Uh, so they wanted, they wanted <laughs> to Can the they business from
1: your misery. Right. Is that it? No? Right. Uh, uh-huh.
3: But uh, but as far as uh, especially within the county, no, no one. Uh, it's amazing. Everyone really
2: just scatters. You find out who your friends are. That, don't that's you? true, Christine. And, you're yeah. inviting in all socials, country club stuff. I uh, mean, no. were, were you still in big demand? How would the pie shop do?
4: You know, uh, I had to shut the pie shop uh-huh. uh, the day Kurt got arrested. There's still people that are waiting for their pie deliveries. Um, they taglined Kurt the Golden Boy, though, and so that made it you know that much more attractive. I think that that arrest was was pretty powerful for that new detective. It destroyed
2: your lives,
1: I'm sure. Right?
4: Your yeah. your conv- your
1: you know conviction make makes careers. An eventual, uh, yeah, a future conviction, you know, going down the line makes careers, prosecutors, uh, police officers, detectives. I mean, they're going to hang their hat on your conviction.
2: And it was no looking back for them. And they did. They did, right? They did. Absolutely. Uh, Everybody gets awards for this one, right? The merit badges came out on the Kurt Lovelace arrest, didn't it?
3: Yeah, and and you know those those people are still working. They're still investigating. They're still uh, doing their job. So you know, as of as of now, you know there haven't been any repercussions for any of the individuals uh, involved.
1: But there's fixing to be some repercussions soon. Okay, we're going to take another break. We're going to come back. We're going to continue talk with Curtis and uh, Christine Lovelace. You've been listening to the Chicago Popo Report on WLS AMA eight Yes.
2: Welcome back, Popo Nation. Paul Cialino, Lupe Aguirre, Chicago Popo Report on WLS AM 890 Chicago. Saturday night with us is Curtis and Christine Lovelace. Curtis was an almost wrongfully convicted guy of murder. Christine's his wife. Big part in getting him sprung. Curtis uh, had a trial, was hung jury. Thank God for that one, right? and these things almost turn never turn out well when you go back for that second bite of the apple second jury trial not guilty all counts walked out the front door free man what was your evidence
3: it was it was experts it was expert that, testimony um that's that's all they had they had shopped around um i say they the, the quincy police department and adam gibson had gone to multiple experts who said there's there's nothing he you know nothing here um,
2: and they shopped just, it. They truly shopped this case, right? They spent all kinds of money trying to get an expert to say what they wanted them to say in this case, right? I mean, Michael well, Baden was in there, right?
3: Yeah. yeah my, Michael Bodden, mm-hmm. uh, Baden. Uh, what did yes. Baden say? Well, you know, it's interesting. Baden came in after my indictment. Um, so uh, they, they had gone to multiple experts. They finally found an expert in St. Louis who said, sure, I'll agree, um, Detective Gibson, with you and your theory. Um, and they got the indictment based upon that expert. And then after I was indicted, um, and sitting in jail, then they sent the material to Michael Bodden, and Michael Bodden came on board. Um, later on, um, Werner Spitz, um, for came government. on board. Yeah, for the government. And, mm-hmm. uh, and and these they, are
2: heavy-hitter names in the, uh, forensic, uh, pathologist community. Man, this is bad news for you.
3: Right. And and as a as a defendant, I mean, you don't have the resources no. that the state has. No. And and so in order to defend that type of case, it's 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 very costly uh-huh. and uh a and
1: lot of people had to believe in you. A lot of organizations, a lot of legal help has to believe in you to give you pro bono work and that's what they did. Sure. They lent lent a helping hand because oh my God, this is injustice. This guy is wrongfully accused. Let's see what we can do. And that was outstanding. And Christine, you're a big
2: part of this uh, defense investigation, aren't you?
4: Well, uh, you know, I got home that night of of Kurt's arrest and trying to figure out what we do. And so I started researching um, everything I could about what's going on, what in the heck's happening. And, you know, like Kurt, I thought this is going to fix itself. Yeah. It didn't fix itself. No, it doesn't fix itself. It never fixes itself, does it? They weren't going to open up the door and let him come home and say, whoopsie daisies, we made a mistake. Yeah. And so I just started looking for attorneys. I started learning everything I possibly could about wrongful conviction. You've talked about Jamie Snow. I learned about Jamie Snow two days after Kurt's arrest, um, you know, and and what that looks like and how they go about this kind of thing. You know, I, I later learned about Bodden and who he actually was more than a guy that's on HBO doing an autopsy show. It it was an education and you know, that's what got me where I am today. I'd I'd rather be in my pie shop rolling out pies. Yeah, uh-huh. you know?
2: that's not the case anymore, though, is it Christine? <laughs> no, huh? You're you're is... you're just all up in the muck with the I, rest of us now.
4: Yeah, I'm outside of a Pollyanna world now and and it's uh but it's okay. It's okay. We're we're helping people and, and shining a light on on what goes wrong.
2: We're here with Kurt and Christine Lovelace. Kurt's formerly charged with murder, attorney, University of Illinois football player, all American. And you guys, you guys got a couple kids that are rock star. One kid's an Army Ranger mm-hmm. down there at Hunter Air Base. Another kid's at Fourth Infantry Division in Colorado. Yep. Kurt, you're a former military. person. Uh, listen, this is not your typical uh, meth tweaking family, is it? That finds himself in this jam.
3: Well, and I'm really proud of of, of my family and, and Christine because again, uh, the, the weight of the world fell upon her shoulders. You know, the 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 bo- all three boys were home. They were young. They were in high school. Um, I missed all that. Uh, Christine um, did it all and did an outstanding job, and 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 really proud that, you know, even what we went through, um, you know, our, our boys are, are are dealing with that, um, but at the same time, you know, they they've been successful in their chosen fields.
2: They're not they're not uh, drug addle knuckleheads. They're actually productive, patriotic human beings doing uh, God's work out there, aren't they?
3: Yeah, and and that's and that's you know what. Christine, you know, when, when she was, was the only one, you know, she wasn't going to allow them to, to use our situation as an excuse to, to go down any other road than, than the road that we had them on um, on the day of our arrest.
2: And you yeah. guys now know, because of your work, there's always a Christine in every case like this. There's, there's a wife, a sister, uh, a, you mother, know, a brother, uh, right. uh, yep, yep, someone yep. who's in there, no matter what, I'm going I'm to fix this thing. I'm going to do whatever I have to do.
4: Absolutely, and that's what it takes. Yep. It, it it takes a, a me or, you know, a, a Tammy or a Christy or a whomever. To, if, you if you don't
2: say so yourself.
4: If I not say The, pie, so the pie maker
2: came through <laughs> huge for Kurt, though, right? You know, and
4: but that's, I, I would say, that's that's who I am. I mean, there, there was something that needed to get done, and, you know, I look at myself first to say, okay, here I am. Send me, you know. And so. folks,
2: I would tell you, uh, Christine is much more than a pie maker. Christine, we just put Christine through an extensive, uh, profiling, criminal profile course, and she was one of our star students. She's a rock star. She's good at this stuff. She figured out how to do it, which is often the case with people, uh, in, in these mm-hmm. situations. They become quite accomplished individuals who figure out the criminal justice system and how to deal with wrongful conviction or, or even just your run-of-the-mill murder case, right?
4: Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we're dealing oftentimes with police officers who aren't educated. I mean, you know, they're, oh, they're, they're yes. trained yes. Yes. What in their job. an understatement, right? Right, yeah. but an education and being trained on a job are two different things completely. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, we win all day long with the upper hand when we're educated in, in this field. So I think I think it's important. Well, that, you know, and you
2: just through hard knocks and work, and you figured out the system. Absolutely. Yep. And now that's what you're doing full time.
4: Yeah,
3: yeah. We're we're working on uh, exoneration cases. We do direct appeals, post conviction work. Um, some of that pro bono uh, and uh, and criminal defense.
1: And what's that called? Again, the Lovelace Center for Criminal Defense in Champaign-Urbana. I was down there for a couple years as a student. Oh, okay. I couldn't take that life anymore, so I came back up here to Chicago. Yeah, the small-town student life wasn't really for me.
2: Yeah, because Lupe was, uh, like, the bartender in Chicago for a number of years, uh, working his way through college, as they say. (laughs) No,
1: but it was uh, it was a fun town down in Champaign-Urbana. Uh Many years ago. Yeah.
2: Well, Kurt, and Kurt, you were the king of Champaign Urbana for a while, brother. You're the captain of the football team. I mean, you're not a dumb jock either, are you? Uh, I, you know, I spent seven years there,
3: you know, uh, both undergrad, playing football, and uh, and then I ended up staying there and going to law school. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the area and, and, a, and a proud uh, proud fighting Illini.
2: We're talking with Kurt and Christine Lovelace on WLS AM 890. Kurt, former prosecutor, was charged with murder, beat the rap. You're you're the man, brother, and I want to thank you guys for coming out here and driving up to do this show. Uh, I'm a big believer in case. Uh, I hope you hit them for a huge, huge number. The civil trial's coming up, and this is how we deal with these people who rule ruin people's lives, silly willy, really. I'm going to lock this guy up. He's a lawyer. I'm going to put his head on my wall. I got no evidence, and we're going to make a case up, okay, because we got all the money and resources in the world. And this is how you stop this stuff. You punish them in civil court. You hit them with a big number. And I I know you, too. You're not doing it for money. This isn't about money. And it's not even about restoring your reputation because you never lost your reputation. Although some people think so. You're never going to change their mind. I could tell you sitting here, uh, there are a certain segment of society. They got away with murder. They're just smart. They're slick. None of which is true. You never knew what hit you. And, and you figured it out on the fly, and the right people showed up at the right time, mostly because you were the right kind of client to have an innocent one. But a lot of innocent people don't have just the general brains or Christine in their life who's going to fight that fight. And you said it. You're locked up 677 days. You're not a dad. You're not a husband. You're not a provider. You're trying to get and to the And you're not fall, a lawyer. Right? And, and,
3: and you're not a lawyer. There's yeah, really nothing law you can, can do to didn't help yep. you
2: at all, did it? And nothing. And being an attorney was zero help, wasn't it?
3: Absolutely. I mean, you're just you're just locked up, uh, no resources, and uh, and and very much alone. But but Christine was out there fighting the fight, and and she got great attorneys involved, and and you know she's a rock star. John Lovey and the Exoneration Project and Tara Thompson, um, they're they're rock stars. Uh, you know, they defended me in my second trial, and, and now they're handling the civil case. Um, you know, we had another individual, Evan Park, um, who did a lot of work and uncovered um, what the uh, what the Quincy Police Department was trying to hide from us. Really?
2: Um, he dug out the facts, and he did it legally with freedom of information requests. Fascinating part of the whole story, but we're out of time. Uh, we may have you back after the civil trial, okay? Yes. Love to have you back and make you guys buy us lunch at Gibson's, one of our favorite <coughs> restaurants, and spend a little money. But, uh uh, the best of both of you you have our immense respect uh we i can't tell you how much we, we we like you guys and respect what you've done what you've been through and how you came out of it on the other side
4: thank you thank it you was so much. great having you
1: guys Thanks. here we're going to take another break you've been listening to the Chicago Popo Report on WLS
2: 890
1: we'll see you in a bit
2: WLS Popo Nation, you know over here in Angels. what time it is, we're going down south, not before we go to Oregon on WLS 890 AM in Chicago, Saturday night, Chicago Popo Report, Lupe Aguirre, Paul Cialino, bringing you the great news from the southern portion of this country, we love reporting in the south, we love all things southern, grits, biscuits, Waffle House. Well, Lupe, you don't like Waffle House, but we did discover he loves buttered popcorn. Oh, who doesn't like <laughs> buttered popcorn, Paul? Come on. Well, well, apparently, this guy who steals his kid's Girl Scout cookie money. Huh? What do you steal it for, Loop? Real, cl- real uh, class act, Mr. Uh, Brian David Couture. He's got such a classy
1: name that did an unclassy act. Oh, he uh, had to get a little rub and tug.
2: He, you know? He stole eight, seven hundred dollars in Girl Scout cookie proceeds from his little daughter. Ah <sighs> This is this is a champion
1: Malacca right there.
2: Baby, let Daddy hold on to that Girl Scout money for you, okay? Yeah, I don't want you to lose it or, you know, spend it at the American doll store.
1: God forbid somebody breaks into
2: our house and, That's you your, know, steals right it. They get the damn they get, they get the Girl Scout money. It would be embarrassing if we didn't turn that in. But it did get turned in, did it, Luke? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was he up in Carroll stream at the massage parlor? you think, right? Yeah. Yes. It's, that's right. I mean, 700 bucks for an erotic massage. I, I'm going to tell you, this guy's not too bright because he paid about 640 bucks more than is necessary. <laughs> Unless he was going there every day for, you know, two months. It doesn't right. say. Yeah, it doesn't say, yeah. but But he did. He got in trouble, didn't he? He got eighteen month probation for a uh, seven hundred dollar theft.
1: Yeah, but 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 I mean, what did he try to do? I mean, he tried to cover it up by fabricating a story uh, to cover up that theft. He called the popo. He's like, yeah, you know what? Uh, somebody broke in. You know, my home was bur- burglarized, and they and they took you know they took the money. <laughs> they down. took the seven hundred dollars. Yeah, and they're like, Well okay, they let's, didn't
2: really. Let's check the local spas, huh?
1: He didn't sound too
2: convincing. Hey, but there's one one person with common sense in this family. Because uh, four days after Contour's March 18th arrest, his wife, Emily, filed for legal separation. That why, was nice. Why
1: doesn't she just file for divorce? Well, I don't know,
2: because some idiot told her, hey, just file for separation. We'll get your temporary support and stuff, and we'll get, the do- we'll get to the divorce later. Or maybe she thought, maybe I'll forgive him in 18 months. The only file for legal separation is, I know this much about family
1: law. My wife will tell you more about that, but for
2: religious purposes or uh insurance i don't know or because somebody thinks it's a good idea and they go file for legal separation right which is never a good idea i'll charge because... you less i'll charge you less yeah yeah, we yeah, yeah we'll charge you less said no lawyer ever <laughs> i'll charge you less not in the vocabulary well uh, anyways i'm wondering if the girl scouts got their money back did they kick the kid out of girl scouts these are things i want to know did she get bounced for daddy stiffing them for 700 bucks
1: this guy nice. is just
2: bad all around. This is not nice. But, hey, where are we going next? We're
1: going back well, to Mississippi. We're one down of my favorite states.
2: And this is, say it's not so, politician acting badly, no manners. What, just a Republican politician in Mississippi. I,
1: this is, yeah, this is par for the course. Republican lawmaker, absolutely. It's shocker, not punched, at all.
2: Punched his wife in the face. <laughs> Luke, why did he punch his little wife in the face? Because Big old ap- bubble looking boy here. Because apparently she didn't undress quick enough. That basically. Like McLeod, fifty eight. Uh but Luke, l- he was drunk. He was dr- not only drunk, but very drunk, according to the popo. Very, he was very drunk. Slurred speech, walking slow in a zigzag pattern. Although Mississippi, they pretty much walks slow all the time, right?
1: Apparently, this Republican lawmaker does not like foreplay. Does not like the romance <laughs> <Who> involved. <does? laughs> <laughs> before getting it on you know yes you don't look? come on you don't oh, like Yeah, that. a
2: romantic yes yeah. for it's all about the foreplay it's all about the woman my friend
1: exactly that's you know, right we way, want
2: our women happy the way yeah the way they undress
1: you know yeah. and the look in their eyes and well, but no he wasn't Apparently, any mr
2: mcleod that. Uh, not in a whole foreplay thing right because he just snapped <laughs> and he told her hey i will kill you like a <laughs> effing dog huh <laughs> this guy is—he's re- real sweetheart. I bet the ladies in Mississippi are just lining up for this one to become available. Don't you think? You'll think they'll ask him to kindly, uh, you know. Oh, he's he- handsome. Look at him. Look at his self. He's handsome. He's a politician. He's a Republican. We love him. You think he'll resign because of this? In Mississippi, no, no. Not, not a chance. He's not resigning anything. Okay, no, he's going to be asking for some kind of award. <laughs> There's no shame in his game, right? There's no shame. No shame. Yeah. We'll be reading about this again, okay? Especially in this city. <laughs> it's be, be front-page news when they finally re- resolve it. But, hey, we got to Philadelphia. Things are going to hell in a handbasket out there. And I've been there recently. I I could report that this is a story that is not hard to believe. Yeah, Apparently there's no shame in this
1: five-year-old's game, huh? Bringing, bringing crack cocaine to preschool is <laughs> show and tell.
2: Two dozen vials of crack cocaine. It's a lot of vials, and it's a preschool in a Roman Catholic. What is church. that, about twelve <laughs> vials? Probably ten bucks a shot, right? He, he could he could have had a nice day selling it to his classmates <laughs> or his teacher. What does a vial of crack cocaine go for and these days? On the street, bro, about ten dollars. Okay, and that's why it's so 10 cheap. To, to a- ten to twenty bucks. You could play a lot of arcades. But
1: do you still play arcades? No, you don't. I don't
2: think they, do they
1: play arcades? No, you stay uh, at home. You do you they even have
2: arcades no, anymore? No,
1: no.
2: Well, <laughs> teacher, they took the That's bag of- and said, son, you're not supposed to have all this crack. They didn't mind their business. They called 911 on a five-year-old.
1: It's not like the uh, the story we did last week where the kid brought a gun to school. The school teacher just... Kept it safe for him until uh, class let out. Here, here you go.
2: Take it back. It was, it was in Florida, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. in Florida. Yeah, yeah. It was the hot young school teacher holding it for the junior high guy, right? This is a five-year-old showing up at school with a whole bunch of crack.
1: At a Roman Catholic church.
2: They call well, for once we can't give him any heat. But 911 gets called and uh, doesn't say if they arrested the five-year-old. No. Hopefully, Hopefully not. Hopefully they went to the house and arrested... Uh, mom or dad, or everybody that lives there, and took custody of the kid. That's right. Ah, it's just, it's just amazing. You know, listen, the five year old can't get hold of matches and a lighter to light that crack up. I mean, so it's like, it's kind of, kind of a no harm, no foul kind of crime, right? Yeah, that's In right. Philly, it would be, right?
4: I
1: agree with you on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah.
2: Bro, we got carnival workers acting badly? Yeah, we do have a carny acting badly, absolutely. Yeah, Who ever heard of a carny acting badly? Aren't they upstanding citizens? Yeah, well, Never I mean, in trouble, never anything perverted, degenerate. No? <laughs> <laughs> what happened out in Great Falls, Montana? We got
1: Salaman Garcia, he groped, uh, groped a police detective. Between her legs while he was checking the seatbelt on a ride.
2: Uh you know what? Probably not it's one a harmless of his rider error.
1: moves. It's a harmless error. I mean you're, harmless, you're that's making right. sure making sure that she's safe, her belt's tight, and then your hand just slips.
2: That's what the lawyer's gonna say. That's the defense judge. judge, your honor. Harmless error on the part of my client, okay? Not intentional. That crotch grabbing that went on was not intentional and was for her safety. I, you think because she's a police detective, she might be just a little too sensitive. Maybe he got within, you know, three or four inches too close. Yeah.
1: Exaggerating.
2: Yes. She got embarrassed because, I mean, a good detective would have just dropped him right there on the spot, right? She'd oh, have, yeah. Uh, she'd have broke his nose at the very least. No, oh, yeah. Cuffed him up and dragged his butt down the fairway as an example of the mother carnies who wanted to get frisky with anyone. Apparently in Great Falls, Montana, though, they, you know. She do hold a press conference. <laughs> I gotta tell you, uh, Salomon Garcia's lawyer. He says his client denies those allegations. Didn't happen.
1: But the interesting story about this one is, we do know the victim's name. And uh, usually, um, uh, alleged victims of sexual assault, uh, their names aren't publicly disclosed. But she, she did uh, allow for that.
2: She wanted to be known for this. Mm-hmm. This, this is the biggest arrest in her career. Okay. <laughs> Down air, Great Falls. That's
1: right, Paul. We're going to take another break right now, and we've got two great happy endings involving two police officers doing amazing things. You've been listening to the Chicago Popo Report on WSAM.
2: Popo Nation, just what you've been waiting for. The final, the hot ending that we do every week for you on WSAM 890 in Chicago. We don't miss a beat. We close out with a flurry. Huh? Make you roll on them windows, get some air in that car, turn the fan on, the old ceiling fan and air conditioning because it's heating up now. Ending with a bang? Is that what you're trying to say? We're gonna end with a bang and a slash and bang. It looks like, right? <laughs> <laughs> with a box cutter. Listen, folks, if uh, you know you're married to an elderly woman, she's around fifty-five or so. They're a little bit more sensitive at that age than they were twenty-five, right? You best be buying her a gift when that birthday rolls around, right, Lou? I,
1: apparently, I mean, wow, I, I, a birthday dinner isn't enough anymore. You hey, got to, you got to bring, you got to bring gifts to the dinner table. Dude, bought her a table? card.
2: I mean, he's he bought her a card, and he's, you know, she was drinking a little vodka to celebrate the day, and I guess the card wasn't lovey-dovey enough. Might have been a joke card, like, you're 55-year-old and I'm dumping you for a 25-year-old or something like that, right? And she apparently got upset after having a few pops. And uh, this resulted in 911 getting called, right? Because he's getting stabbed. Next thing you know, he said, I'm getting stabbed. Got so her what? card. <laughs> what are you getting stabbed with? This is where it gets interesting. <laughs> See, on an airplane? I mean, is this the Taliban in the house with him or what?
1: What is she doing walking around with a box cutter? What What is she? Does uh, she, she work at Amazon? I don't, I don't understand.
2: Apparently, she knew this cheap bastard pretty well, and she was prepared for her birthday this time. Okay, the other, you know, the last 20 or so that uh, lame gifts that were being bought. She just said at 55 double nickel time, you know what? I'm not putting up with anymore. I'm going to sharpen up the old box cutter. Well, let me show him who's who around here yeah <laughs> <laughs> he had to call for help he had to get him get her off his ass with that box cutter didn't he
1: nearly killed him destroyed his bedroom <laughs> destroyed his crib ripped his broke his bed tipped over his nightstand threw everything around man she was
2: peed off if i had to guess i bet she's a you know probably a candidate for jenny craig or something like that as well at 55 but i who know, you know she might be in shape i, I, I hate to judge but she did destroy the bed when she was jumping on it okay
1: yeah, well, she spent the rest of her birthday in jail. Well, that's it well, listen, man. she
2: won't be the first person to spend her yeah. birthday night in jail, right? Like, what do
1: you think they gave her for uh, dinner? A little got a, bologna sandwich? Got the, old, got the old bologna
2: sandwich, I'm sure. <laughs> that one, though, no, they might have gave her two or three bologna sandwiches <laughs> to keep her quiet. Probably
1: give her a card with that. Here's your birthday card. <laughs> Here's your
2: card. Here's your card, Chubby. <laughs> Behave yourself. Hey, the hell's wrong with don't, you? Don't pick up any new charges while you're in our jail. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, we're staying over by there. We're going to Massachusetts now. Uh, we go a little bit further north. What happened up in Massachusetts? I mean, she got a light and sentence. I mean, she's still what over a hundred thousand dollars. You know, she was a bank teller, yeah. and she was just
2: you know just robbing you, robbing people left and right at the bank. That's a gift, man. That's yeah. a that's a gift. This a sucks, month, right? She's got a month, hundred grand. She from elderly clients. She's stealing the old people's money. Yo folks, she's ripping off. You sure this is in Cook County?
1: You sure Fox and Friends didn't give her that diversionary program?
2: <laughs> Fox and Friends is nowhere near this one. Okay, no. leave, leave it alone. Judge O'Brien will be investigating this one, okay? He cannon fodder. We'll turn it into a Fox and Friends case. Yeah. Hey, she got a brace? Je- Jessica Vargas, who worked at the Old uh, a- Savings Bank. Uh, she had mm-hmm. to pay back 108000 in restitution. Right? Uh, where's
1: she going to get that? Oh. I don't know. She's got 15 family members to feed. I mean, she, it's a lot of mouths to feed, and you know, $100,000 goes a long way. Where's she going to come up with 108000 for restitution? She, she, she,
2: Struggling to provide is, for as many as 15 family members, right? Because right? her husband was disabled. I, I, you know what? <laughs> the judge looked at this one and said, listen, I'm going to let you stay home with them 15 idiots, which is far more punishment than putting you in jail and giving you a vacation right yeah that's that's what happened there he he looked at that group out in the galley and he said i I, i've got nothing that's going to torture you as much as what's sitting behind you okay go home (laughs) (laughs) go home and fester okay go home and deal with the this group okay (laughs) that's kind of a happy ending isn't it yeah (laughs) (laughs) for the mcc they don't have to put up with her right going back home she thought she was going to get a break from all that craziness Just a month. Not so. You get a 30-day break. That's all you get. Then back to hell in the 15 dependents you have over there. Whew. Hey, bro, here's a a happy story, though. We got two happy stories. I like this one, though, right? Yeah. Tell us about it. This is a good story.
1: I'll lead off with the first one. We got a retired uh, police officer. He gives his old partner, you know, her kidney. I mean, the fact that you know, amazing—they're—they're they're a match. That—that's one thing. But I mean, to have such a great relationship with your partner uh, over the years, you know, you guys protect each other. You, uh, you know, you—you you know your secrets. Everything, whatever stay whatever, whatever happens in the car stays in the car. You know, it's—it's it's a relationship that builds over years, and then you retire, and then you find out that your partner, you know, uh, needs a kidney. And and like, just,
2: like needs one really, really look, like right now. He needs one like
1: right? like the kidney she has uh, it, only works what ten percent, right? So yeah, dire need of a transplant. You jump in there and and you're a match.
2: There you go. There you go. I'm, you I'm save I'm, your I'm, partner I'm, again, bro. I'm, ge- I'm guessing the Polish guy in Rogers Park would not get your kidney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing not, but but Stanley. Barsh, his kidney shot, and his old partner, Megan Ambrose, she said, You know what? I'll give you one of my kidneys. Yeah. I mean, after they're retired, after they're away from yeah. each other, right? Yeah. Yeah. A Nice woman, huh? Yeah. A but great she, jester. But yeah. she ain't cutting her old man up with a box cutter at home on her birthday and drinking vodka at noon. <laughs> I'm sure these two shared some good, good time, good times
1: in the car and just, uh, you know, all around. Uh, Great that's a, career. That's a great story. And yeah. our
2: and our own superintendent, he had he had to have a kidney replacement. His son uh, jumped in there in game one, that's didn't right, he?
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Right, you giving up a kidney? You got to really a got to be a good dude. You're giving it to and somebody you really love a lot. You got to love right? him exactly. Yeah.
1: What's the other one in Denver about,
2: Paul? This is a great story, man. It's this homeless guy running around, and this 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 female <laughs> officer, Alicia Harris. She she meets him in December, and and she takes an interest in him because he's freezing to death. He's on the street. He's not eating, he ain't sleeping. Because he, he's he, a human being. He's getting run over on a yeah. regular basis, sleeping yeah. where he's sleeping. Yeah. And she starts spending some time with him getting to know him, and uh, she finds out where he's from. And she starts looking for family members, right? And she reaches out, and she finds a family member. And when she gets hold of this family member, no one had seen this guy in over 20 years, right? Where do he live at, in California? Yeah. And this is he's now in Denver, Denver. right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and And she's able to reunite the family. And the family thought he was dead. Well, he was He was
1: living in an alley two blocks away from Coors Field uh, when uh, the uh, police officer, Alicia Harris... De- Denver,
2: Denver's got a big, big homeless problem, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. You know, it'd be a very liberal community, and they put up with a lot, And uh, of course. Um, and it's a pretty good climate most of the time, yeah. right? You might get three feet of snow, but it'd be 80 the next day. So the, the homeless uh, are able to... And, and there's a lot of soup kitchens and people, but this, this uh, Denver PD officer... And I've had some experience with Denver cops. Good people, man, and and most big majority of the Denver cops are from Chicago, New Jersey, New York. They all go out there to you know, it's a good paying job. A little change
1: of pace, yeah, yeah change of <laughs> pace.
2: But they're busy. A lot mm-hmm. of bank robberies and stuff. But yeah. she she jumps in there, man, and she reunites this homeless guy with his family who had thought he'd been dead for a long time.
1: Thank God for social media. She got that, on Facebook. Yeah, she got yeah. yeah, she run it down. I mean, you could do a lot searching <laughs> when you've got some downtime, you ever find yourself on Facebook just looking for people
2: just to happen- in the morning. let me see what I can find here
1: what happened to my idiot friend you know in 5th grade what happened to my right. what happened to that a-hole uh, in, in high school what is
2: he up to what happened to my old hot boyfriend that I used to date is he divorced yet did that bully turn into a douchebag yeah you can do a lot with facebook you could find out you know you
1: could could kill a lot of time kill a lot of midnight shift right kill a lot of time and reunite a lot of families Yeah, let's
2: get this homeless guy out of my district because i'm tired of writing paper on his silly ass getting run over about once a week
1: yeah well this police officer she was honored uh with the unparalleled community impact award for her work helping robinson get back home and you know what paul that does it for us this Saturday night. And as always, don't poo poo on the popo. And mind your own business.
0: And watch your six. Thanks a lot, Paul, Becky, Brett. You guys are great. See you next week.